Open your Bible to John chapter 17 as we, once again, utilize God's own word as a means to unify our hearts in prayer together this morning, to keep our hearts and minds and our prayers united together, to keep us from going astray into our own directions, but uh, with united hearts together, gathered in one place to seek the face of the Lord together. We use John 17 because this is Jesus' own high priestly prayer, prayed to the Father. And again, I I remind you, this is not a prayer that we can pray ourselves because uh, so much of what the prayer that Jesus prays is dictated by who he is, his relationship to the Father, and his work of going to the cross. But there are themes within this prayer that are precious to Christ, that are driving Christ in all that he does, and those are the things that we can come around, those themes, those attitudes of hearts, those things, those values that are precious to Christ. They're precious to Him. They should be precious to us as His people. We spent the past several weeks now going through a particular part of John chapter 17, verses 6 through round about 9 or 10, where Jesus is, is rehearsing for the Father, for the glory of the Father, all that He has done in obedience to the Father in obedience to their eternal plans and purposes to glorify the triune God in the work of redemption. And we've broken it down week by week into just various phrases where Jesus glorifies the fathers. I've done this. Uh, This is who your people are. This is your work in the lives of your people whom you have chosen, whom you have laid claim claim upon through me. And we looked at about six different characteristics there. And as we continue on into the prayer, and uh, when you get down to verses 11, or 9, 10, 11, and 12, we have wonderful reminders there that Jesus is praying for you and I, uh, that Jesus is keeping you and I, and certainly both of those are worthy of richer meditation. And this morning, maybe those are aspects in our prayers. Thank you that Jesus right now is praying for you and I. Uh, Aren't you encouraged when someone tells you they're praying for you? Well, how much more so when it's Christ himself? Uh, And Christ is keeping us. What is it that keeps us uh, in union with him, in union with the Father? Well, it's it's Christ himself. But beginning in verse 13, we begin to see Jesus kind of play out more themes, characteristics, you will, of the Christian life. We might even say of the church. And it's those I want to focus on for the next several weeks here. Uh, Characteristics that should mark every believer, that should mark every church. And in verse 13, we're introduced to the theme of joy. John chapter 17, verse 13. Let me read that portion of Jesus' prayer. Jesus prays to the Father, But now I'm coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy Fulfilled in themselves. Now he's going to continue on in that prayer to bring different characteristics, but the one he focuses upon here is joy. And I think the key to understanding the nature of true Christian joy comes in in two little words that Jesus prays there in verse 13. These things I speak in the world that they may have my joy, Jesus says. You can almost miss it. We live in a world today where people themselves use those words. I use those words. You use them. My joy. My joy because 
I got this new toy, I have this new possession, I have a new title, I have a new job, position, whatever. My joy increases, you know, however we use that terminology. But for the Christian, our joy is not dictated by anything external. It's not dictated by anything in us. Our joy for the Christian is defined by Christ's own joy. He says in verse 13 that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. My joy, the joy that I have, Jesus says, in doing your will. My joy in pleasing you. My joy in obeying you. My joy in honoring you. And we know that Christ's joy is infinite. Christ's joy is boundless. Christ's joy is limitless. Everything that Christ did was driven by obedience to the Father, glory to the Father, pleasing the Father, honoring the Father. So much so that even for the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross and despising the shame. For the joy it brought Him to honor the Father. Christ's joy is limitless. And his prayer here for you and I is that that joy would be fulfilled in us. The question is how? How does that joy become our joy? And I think the answer to that is just a few pages back in your Bible, John chapter 15. There Jesus begins to create this structure. I am the vine. He says in John chapter 15, I'm the true vine, the authentic vine. In the Old Testament, what he means by that is, you know, Israel was the vine. They used that call, but they were never really the vine. That was just a picture. It was a, uh, to show who I'm going to be. I'm the true vine. So when you're reading in the Old Testament things like Israel's the, the vine of God. No, no, I'm the true vine. I'm the authentic vine. And then in John chapter 15, verse 5, he says this, I am the vine, you, my disciples are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And if we want to be joyful, one of many, many characteristics of the Christian life is just the one here in chapter 17, verse 13. If we want to have joy, then we, branches must cling close to the source of our spiritual life, our spiritual vitality, our spiritual joy. We branches must cling close to the vine, which is Christ Himself. Living close to Him. Living near Him. Living dependent upon Him. That's the work of a branch, right? Without the vine, you cut the branch off. What happens to the, to the branch? It withers and dies. Its very life is dependent upon its nearness, its closeness, its union to the vine. And when the Christian is in union, close proximity, close to Christ who is filled with joy, then his joy overflows into the branch. This joy is because of our union with Him. Any effort 
to be joyful. Any effort that you exert to try to cultivate joy in your life, anything you try to manipulate in your life to try to work up joy, to stimulate joy, is an exercise in futility. And you know that to be true. Now, in the moment, you may be in the middle of that. You're still clinging to the hope that you can find just the right thing or just that, that will... But you know it's futility. You've, it's been proven time and time again. You've, for various years in your life, tried to cultivate joy based upon getting the perfect thing, the perfect job, the perfect relationship, the perfect family, the perfect church, the perfect this, that, or the other. And to whatever degree you got your hands on it, you can look at your life today. And can you say that your joy is full? No. It's exactly what Solomon writes about in Ecclesiastes. All is vanity. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. You, you chase after the things in the world. It's like chasing after the wind. It's like those soap bubbles. They look fun, don't they? I mean, you see them floating through the air. They're pretty. The, the sun shines on them just enough. There's a neat little light that comes on them. And you chase it around. And then you get it. And what happens? It pops. All that effort. It's an exercise in futility. And so it is with trying to find joy in anything outside of you. John 17, 13, Jesus says, He's praying to the Father, These things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. It's an internal joy. It's not external. It's not dependent upon externals. It's an internal thing. And so the takeaway is without proximity to Christ, without closeness to Christ, you will be fruitless. And among the many fruits are joy. So how do we as branches abide in the vine? Well, it begins with our salvation, our union with Christ. That we, by grace, have been grafted into the vine. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's where it begins. And that's where this morning we and I will continue to make our calling and election sure. Nobody in this room is so mature in their Christian faith that you don't need to ask the question right now, what is the evidence that I'm truly born again? And that's not asking you to doubt your salvation. It's asking, if it's true, well, then this morning there should be evidences. This week there should be evidences. And so how do we abide in Christ and get this? Well, it begins there. Because without that, there's no hope for joy. But beyond that, with our union with Christ, well, then it's in a very practical level. You positioning yourself as close to Christ as possible. That His joy may be fulfilled in you. That His joy would overflow into you. So how do you do that? Well, it's not rocket science. But at the same time, it's, it's a discipline. It's Scripture. It's time in the Word. Because that's where you find Christ. Right now, Christ is at the right hand of the Father. To get near to Him, you've got to die. But your joy here today is dependent upon you being close to Him. So how do you get close to Christ? 
You're as near as you can possibly be to this book. Because this book reveals Christ. Prayer. Prayer is another way to, to, to cultivate that union with Christ, that closeness with Him. Corporate worship. What we're here to do together this morning. And I don't mean just coming half-heartedly, but coming earnestly with a desire to meet with your King, to fellowship with Him, to know Him through the Word. If a Christian prays infrequently, if a Christian reads the Bible only on occasion, if a Christian worships irregularly or half-heartedly, he won't bear any fruit. And there won't be any joy. You can probably look at your own heart this morning. And you look at the temperature of your joy. It will be directly proportionate to the temperature of your heart with regard to the word of God. And prayer and your earnestness here this morning.